Hello. Welcome to Playscape. I'm Teddy Deef. Oh my god, we're doing a podcast. Okay, so this is episode one of the show, and what it's going to be is me taking you on a tour of Los Angeles's video game scene. Uh, and really by scene, I just mean the people in LA who are working in and around games. Scene is like a cool word that basically just means people who are all doing stuff in the same area at the same time, and sometimes we hang out together. Uh... Each episode is going to feature a one-on-one conversation between me and game developers, actors, writers, hosts, like any creator who is doing something in and around games, and we're going to talk about their inspirations, their processes, how they do their work, and hopefully a little bit about just like how it works into their lives and what it's like for them, Uh, and hopefully give you a sense of the ecosystem of what it means to be in the games industry, particularly the special flavor of industry we have in Los Angeles, given our proximity to Hollywood and all that cool stuff. Um, but let's just, uh, let's go into it. Episode one. Let's do a fucking podcast. Here we go. Okay, okay, we're doing it. Um, I'm your host, uh, I'm Teddy Deef, um, and I'm going to be having conversations with my different guests each episode. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking to Ashley Birch. Uh, I had a great conversation with Ashley. She is a voice actor, a writer, a director. She does all sorts of stuff. She's currently working with Rocket Jump, if you're familiar with their work on Hulu. She's also a good friend of mine. Uh, we've met through video games uh and uh hosted the indicate awards together last year which is like a award show that recognizes uh unique work happening in indie games um we're gonna get like a little personal with guests like i'm gonna try to talk to them about their lives more than just their work i don't just want to do a biography i kind of want to get a snapshot of what their life is like now and what it's like to be them and doing what they're doing uh, and I'm going to use this show to get a little personal with you, too. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, like we're talking now. Um, well, I'm going to talk at you uh, about what I'm going through. So let me tell you a little bit about me, since this is the first episode, and give you a flavor for what we're doing here. Uh, I am a game maker. I live and work here in L.A. at a place called Glitch City, which is like a cooperative art space. Uh, it's lots of different people making lots of different cool things. Uh, we also try to do events for the public and kind of build a community around independent game making and other art stuff, whatever cool makey thing you want to do. Um, but yeah, I'm a video game person. That's what I do right now. Uh, and for the last two and a half years, I've been working on a game called Hyperlight Drifter, which a bunch of, with a bunch of my friends, uh, created by my good friend Alex Preston, who will be joining us at some point. Um, and yeah, man, that's that's where I come from. I... I came to LA seven years ago to go to film school and work in television, but then I ended up getting a master's in game design. I worked at Disney for a while as a game designer, worked at Microsoft for a brief moment, uh, and then I went indie a couple of years ago. And by going indie, if you're not familiar, I just mean eschewing the traditional jobs. Uh, no one is paying me to do my work, I'm trying to find money to make my own stuff or to make uh, stuff with my friends. Uh, so Alex started this game called Hyperlight Drifter and brought me on board when our Kickstarter did uh, did super well. And we've been working on it for, yeah, two and a half years. Um, today is Thursday, uh, and this week we announced that the game is coming out next week. So you're hearing me in like the throes of what we would call crunch, which is basically just like, oh God, oh God, this game's coming out in in seven days uh is it ready is it ever going to be ready man i don't know um i guess let me tell you a little bit about what this is like because i was really curious about what this would be like um to have worked on something for so long we were really lucky to get a lot of funding through kickstarter we raised uh over six hundred thousand dollars um which sounds like a lot but when you work on a game for two and a half years that's just the money to keep people alive and and pay the taxes and things you need to do to keep your game running um so yeah man we we announced our release date we've been very careful about not announcing until we were sure we didn't want to 
make promises we couldn't keep. We didn't want to put pressure on the game until we knew it was in a good place. And we've been keeping an eye on the money that we got from Kickstarter and making sure that we had enough to keep doing it and to make sure that the game is what people gave us money to make or what they think we're supposed to make. Uh, I, I don't know. So yeah, we, we put out this trailer to the internet. It was our third trailer ever, and it was the one that at the end it said, boom, March 31st is when this game is coming out. And we released it. And we're very fortunate that when we release something like that, uh, people people cover it. And we were like trending on Twitter. Basically what happened was uh, Alex wakes up earlier than I do. So he, uh, and, and he runs a lot of this stuff. So he primed the trailer uh, and then released it and put a Kickstarter update out. And so I woke up early, early for me. I woke up at like, like 7.30 or 8 to see like the responses come rolling in. And man, I've been making things for a long time. I've been doing indie stuff for a couple years. And all you want when you do something like this is for people to care, right? For people to to pay attention to it and to like it. Because you're making it, especially with games, you're making it for people to play. If if I make a game and you don't play it, it like it's like a if a tree falls in the woods and it, you know doesn't make a sound if no one's there to hear it right it's like a video game video games don't exist unless somebody's touching it because it it needs somebody to interact with it so even more than other media i don't know in my perspective we just really want you to you really want people to care you know um and so this is my first time being like man i, I guess people already care there's like twenty five thousand kickstarter backers who probably still care because we're holding on to their money right I think so. And what are we doing with it? What have we been doing with it? They want to know. And they're getting this game from us. And, man, I I just don't know. I guess you're going to find out. We're going to find out together what this is like. Uh, because you're going to watch me go through this. Right now, I just feel like the game's pretty much done. Uh, we feel really good about it. We're We're still tinkering, fixing little things here and there. Like polishing and making sure that it's true to what we want, making sure there aren't any missed opportunities, but mostly we're just testing it. We're just making sure that the day we click release, uh, that the game goes out and people can play it and it doesn't crash. Uh, and it, that it's, man, the, the rest of that is just up to, to fate and people's response and you just don't know. I remember when I first moved to LA I did the thing you do in LA, which is I went to a screening. I went to a screening of Forrest Gump and uh, at my film school at USC. And they had the director, uh, Bob Zemeckis, and Tom Hanks, who was the star, there to do like a Q&A afterwards. Um, and somebody asked him, like, Wah, man, how did you, when did you know? When did you know that you'd made something that was going to resonate with people and that was going to have this response um, and I remember at that impressionable time in my life, having just come to LA, I was very curious about the answer and they were, they were just like, man, we don't know. We, we had no idea. Um, they'd made a lot of movies before. We were like, we did not know if this was going to be good or bad. We were just making the thing and moving as fast as we could trying to get it out. And then we still didn't know when we released it, what the response was. Like we knew the critics liked it, but it took us like a week to really understand that this was a thing that people dug. Um, so that's kind of where, I mean, that that mindset is where we're at right now. I don't think that Hyper Light Drifter will be the Forrest Gump of video games, whatever that means. But, uh, you know, I, I hope that people care enough to ask us in a few years, you know, what were you thinking? And that's kind of why I'm spending some of this podcast to talk to you about this so that we can chronicle this process you know it's it's a little crazy that i'm doing this podcast while we're finishing the game but to me it's important to to document this for you and for me and for alex and Bo and and all the people i'm working with at heart machine on this game but anyway uh plenty of time for that later let's get into the conversation i had with the amazing ashley birch uh ashley is kind of like the essence of why i created playscape this podcast is that 
She's not a developer like I am, uh, but she's in and around games. Like you might know her from her web series, Hey Ash, What You Plan, Whatcha Plan, which is a comedy series, skit comedy that's uh, based on different video games. They do a little skit about different games. Uh, she's also a voice actor. You might recognize her as Chloe in Life is Strange, which is a recent series, or uh, Tiny Tina from Borderlands 2. But she's also touching other media, and that's what I love about Los Angeles, right? Uh, she works in animation, because a lot of animated stuff is made here. Uh, she has done voice work and writing a little bit for Adventure Time, which you probably know. Uh, and she's doing film stuff now. Her full-time gig is at Rocket Jump, um, working on Rocket Jump the Show, which is a series on Hulu and YouTube that is super good. They are like masters at uh, VFX and like really good kind of humor and entertainment, but they try to work some heart into it. I'm a big fan of it, um, and I am a big fan of her. So yeah, uh, that is a big, weighty, hefty intro for episode one. Hope you'll stick around, and uh, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Ashley Birch. We're on the podcast. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it already. We're doing it. We're 30 seconds into it. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, yeah, thanks for doing a thing with me. Of course. And inviting me into your home to talk about whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, So like, okay, I'm psyched to get to talk to you in this capacity because I get to like take a step back and like stop pretending like I totally understand your life. (laughs) (laughs) You've just been masquerading yeah, just as a like, friend oh, yeah. for this long, Teddy? Is that what you're telling me? N- no, I've just been masquerading as a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, like, so uh, what's interesting to me about talking to to you or to, to anyone who doesn't do game development as, like, a I go into a studio every day and program mm-hmm. a video game or whatever, it's like, I don't really know what it's like. What your time is on. Like, I know, I know what you do, mm-hmm. um, and like where you work and stuff but I don't, I don't know like do you work a work week and like how is your time balanced between the different things that you do because you do you've you've been doing directing and writing and you do a lot of video stuff so like mm-hmm. how does it all kind of what do you view as like the thing that you do and how does it all come together well recently this year it's become a lot more um of rocket jump stuff so directing writing acting shooting editing all that all that nonsense um but before that, it was kind of, I think it was primarily VO with some Adventure Time sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. And um, and I still, I still do VO, of course, now. Um, but it's kind of like now I work a work week, and then sometimes I'll leave that work week to go do, like my rocket jump work week to go do VO um, whenever I am hired to do so. Yeah. Does that bleed into weekends then, or do you like, kind of still have a work week? No, I still have a work week, although my rocket jump work sometimes bleeds into weekends. Mm. But um, VO stuff doesn't. VO stuff is Monday through Friday business. So, okay, that's comforting because it means that like you have a, you're like me, <laughs> you're just like us. <laughs> but what a um, what does that mean for like what you're doing at Rocket Jump, like? in both the verbs that you're doing and also, like, are you at a desk all day? Like, I have an impression of anyone who's doing anything having to do with, like, acting or film that you're, like, up on your feet all day mm-hmm. and you're always talking to people mm-hmm. and it's so wonderfully social all the time. Like, how much of that is your actual life? Well, it's funny because we are doing everything at all levels of production, the shorts team. So we'll do a shooting day, which is, like, you know, or, or a couple of days, where, which is us just being on our feet for however many hours um mm-hmm. uh and just running around like crazy um but you know before that we have to do writing we have to write the scripts we have to do pre-production um we have to go run around and get props we have to you know and then in post it is very much just sitting in front of a computer but um yeah it's a lot of different stuff and for vo it's um usually for games it's it's a single it's a solitary recording. So animation okay. tends to record in a group. Meaning and like the actors are all recording at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Um, with, with just, you know, different mic setups at a studio. But um, Like we're doing. Like we're doing. Okay. But uh, for games, for the most part, I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule because I recorded a lot with um, Hannah Tell, who plays Max in Life is Strange. 
Um, but usually it's just you alone in a room for four hours. Not, you know, you're not alone. There's like a director and stuff. But um, as far as actors go, it's usually just you um, hanging out with the director and, and trying to make something cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like, did you have, so I don't know how long you've even been doing acting. Is it like a forever thing? Like, well, I did acting in high school and that sort of thing. I didn't. I originally thought that I wanted to be a singer. Okay. Which you are. Which I kind of am. Um, on occasion. Uh, and then in middle school, to be able to sing in the musical, which I believe was The Music Man, mm. I had to also act. I had to audition um, for an acting role and I never acted before. And for some reason, our teacher made us audition in front of the entire, just not student body, but the entire portion of the student body that wanted to be in The Music Man. We huh. all had to do auditions in front of everyone else. So it was like a stage fright test. It was terrible. I'm pretty <laughs> sure she was like, I think she secretly hated children or something. Just taking it out on yeah. somebody. But uh, it was terrifying, but I ended up actually liking it. I was I was like shaking and, and freaked out, but I, I was like, I'm not awful at this, I don't mm. think. And I ended up actually at that moment sort of switching gears. And, and then I think... I don't remember what the timeline of it was, but I remember at one point being like, I think I, maybe I replayed Metal Gear Solid. Oh, and yeah. I remembered like, oh, right, voice acting is a thing. I think that's what I want to do. And then hmm. that's just kind of how it happened. Is that because like you didn't want to be on camera or is it just because you liked the work that was, that it I goes just, into? Yeah, I just love voice acting. I love cartoons. I love hmm. games. I just like the idea of making weird voices. I love the idea of being in games. I just really, yeah, I just really liked the idea of of one day imagining hearing my voice in a game. That's cool. I feel like I, I just caught myself on, on like, uh, maybe what is a common misconception or, like, an assumption, which is that mm. the people understand voice acting as, like, acting minus face. Right. Or acting minus body. Right. When it's like, no, it's, it's not less. It's just a different thing. It's very different, and it's... Um... It's interesting because sometimes people get to broach those two different aspects in like mocap situations or when there's facial capture. But um yeah, there's it's definitely a, a very different skill set because you you don't have you have to communicate everything through your voice and um so any subtleties I mean, if you ever watch uh, behind the scenes footage of voice actors recording stuff uh-huh. we're usually like flailing a lot and like being very right, physical just, just like using your body yeah um, but you sometimes have to overuse it in a way to get mm. your vocal performance to the place that it needs to be in um, in a way that you may not if you were doing on camera okay um, which I think is a hard hard switch sometimes to make and I can find too if I am doing a lot of voiceover and then I go back to on camera I have to sort of adjust and be like I can't because otherwise mm-hmm. I, I will be overacting you know yeah yeah uh, in that context but in voice acting it's you know it's not the same huh. so like it's so so you got started doing theater stuff or doing or that's, yeah that's, like that's like what you were doing at like, first like baby theater yeah you well know? yeah I mean high yeah. school or whatever yeah, like so did you have like did the lifestyle change I guess I'm trying to come around to like the thought of the thought of actors as living a life where it's like you're in a room alone for four hours seems so counterintuitive to the assumption again of like right. acting being a very social thing. And even though you do are working with someone, like was that is that jarring to you to do that? Or I mean I guess you've been doing it for so long. But I mean It isn't actually, and I wonder if it's because I had kind of a funny introduction into voiceover and in that my first gig my brother was directing me. Mm. Um, but it's never felt unnatural. I'm not really sure why. Um, I think I'm... I, I, I'd learned about the profession and the industry a little bit before I entered it because I was interested in it, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew some things to expect. But... It's still definitely social, I think. Um, I mean voice actors are my experience with voice actors is actually that like they're predominantly very friendly uh very um amiable like 
energetic people. Makes sense. Um, which makes sense. For the for the most like across the board for the most part, um, voice actors especially. Uh, I know many voice actors that are also uh, into games. Yeah, and um, kind of maybe as expected, they oscillate between a million voices a minute. You know, um, like as a human being, as like a human being. Life? Yeah, it's like a thing that happens. Mm. I mean, I've been told I do that, but I don't notice it. Okay. Um, well, so like. That's interesting. So you, so at this point, you work like a regular, a regular job. Mm-hmm. Um, Just one of them jerbs. But you also, but you're also like an actor. So like, do you feel mm-hmm. like you don't have the normal actor's life when it comes to like the LA actor of like being mostly? I mean, you, you surely are still auditioning all the time. Yes. But, but you have this like very solid regularity. There's also a creative outlet. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the thing that it has done for me is it's made me. A little less skittish, I suppose. Um, there is, of course, the aspect to an act, an actor's lifestyle where you don't know where your next check is coming from. Yeah. Um, which puts a lot of pressure on every audition, puts a lot of pressure on every session, you know, every callback, whatever. So you're doing more like the uh, the interviewing for the job you don't need sort of thing. I guess. I mean, it's... Uh, I feel like hesitant to even say that because... Yeah, every, I, every, I didn't mean to like literally, make, paint no, it as cocky. But, no, 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 no. Literally, literally, everything could dry up in a second. Uh, you know, that's just <laughs> the nature of the beast. But um, as of right now, it's a thing where like I have a regular, I have a, a consistent job at Rocket Jump, um, and then you know when VO happens, it happens, which is great. Mm. Um, but it's made me, and, and I think it's all just been more time. But I, I feel like I'm a bit more confident. Um, about what things I can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more confident about what things I need in a voiceover booth, mm. which I think when you're first starting out, you are afraid to ever ask for what you might need. Or Do you um, feel like you're not supposed to need it? Yeah, maybe. Like, um, I know sometimes I would feel like if I didn't finish a session early, that it was that I did a bad job. Huh. Um, or... Um, like, there are some sessions where I kind of just get the character and I really don't need much direction. And there are some that I, like, really need help navigating. And mm-hmm. uh, early, earlier on, much earlier on in my career, if I needed more help navigating, I would get kind of, like, about it. Right. But um, ultimately, the the point of the director is to help you navigate it. So it's, you know, right, like what they uh, actually provide you fluctuates depending on what you need. Right. So I think... Uh, I mean, yeah, I think I feel a little bit more. Sti- I feel a little bit more stable in the job, and a bit more confident. But I don't think it's just because I have another thing going on. I think it's just been I spent enough time now yeah. in the world that I feel like I, I, I have more of a handle. It's probably a little bit of both. You're a yeah. You know what you're doing. Some <laughs> you totally I mean, got it. I'm I'm definitely confident. Uh, no, no insecurities. I mean, I figured it all out. I honestly feel like, because I was definitely more of a scared little rabbit at the beginning, mm-hmm. which I, I think it'd be hard Probably. not to be. Yeah. Um, but, and I still, I mean, I learned so much and I still have so much to learn. And, um, but I, I think I am, I'm more aware of the ways that I really do need to learn and being able to separate those from the things that I'm afraid of, if that makes sense. Can you say more about that? Like, being an actor, and then also, I have anxiety, so, like, you'll have sort of doomsday scenarios in your head of, mm-hmm. like, oh, I fucked up X, Y, or Z thing, um, when maybe in reality all of that was fine, versus there will be instances in which maybe I didn't <laughs> do the right thing, or, like, I need to develop a skill or whatever, and I think I'm getting better at filtering and sifting what mm. is what is just me being anxious and overthinking what is me like really needing to work on something yeah um and well, develop something that's cool because it seems like from what i understand from like the at least the part of the life that is auditions that you often don't have any clue like whether you did well or not because they don't really give you feedback necessarily no no I, I don't think i've ever gotten feedback on on an audition no. i've heard it's kind of like ta- not taboo but it's like just not done because of time no. and i mean it would be awkward and what's the point um yeah, and honestly, knowing some game devs, um, gosh, they get so many auditions. It's like, 
on camera acting is hard because when when people are casting, they are looking at headshots primarily first to see if the person even fits the role visually mm-hmm. because they get so many people coming in they have to be able to filter in some way yeah um which ends up sucking because then it's like about what you look like um yeah so is- I, I i've been through that like when i was messing around with directing shorts it was like mm-hmm. i had this issue where i was like i don't want to become this person who's just right. judging by face but i don't have time to yes. watch everybody's reel because there's 300 of them or whatever exactly hmm. um and it's the same thing with voiceover but just quality of voice which is less harrowing i think oh so you just go um, into someone's reel and just like hear it and go, eh, eh, well, if you get the audition it's like and you hear like you're looking for like a soldier or something and you have a specific like deep register type of voice you're looking for and the person's up here like you might just be like ah oh, it doesn't work it doesn't work you yeah, know yeah, yeah. um so but that would happen before you even get into an audition, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it's up to your agency to kind of filter and know what roles you could possibly fit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some people have, like, very specific ideas in their mind. Like, you might get, like, they might say, like, they want someone with texture or they want something raspy. Hmm. And, like, you could give them something raspy, but it's not the quality of raspy that they want. I don't know if that makes <laughs> sense. It's, like, the difference between Emma Stone and... Uh, I don't know, fucking, does Jean, Janine Groffalo have a raspy voice? No, I don't think she does. But, um, <laughs> you know, how people, how different people have different sure, types, sure, sure. qualities of smoky voice or whatever. And there isn't quite a word for it, yeah. necessarily. So you hear it, you basically, I think, generally are hearing, like, does this person even fit the, the, the range that I'm mm-hmm. looking for? Mm-hmm. And then you start listening to their reads. So... I think it's a lot of cycling through, which have is you, understandable. Have you been on the other side much? Like, have you done a lot of casting too? It sounds like you know the casting process really well. Is that just from no? The I just know I just know devs. I just know people mm-hmm. um, that have t- have to explain to me what the process is like, um, on, on in both on camera and and uh, and voice acting. Because mm-hmm. I think it's it's kind of a strange psychological experience for the people that are casting. Like you just said, it's a weird thing to be like just cycling through people and not yeah having the time to spend to see if they fit the bill in terms of performance because you just need it's very unusual yeah and it's it's very different from like i've also hired people for jobs at companies and that's mm-hmm. much different because like when we've hired i mean this is indie's not maybe the best example but even when i've hired at big companies or when we hired on hyperlight for a couple of jobs like we didn't really have that many people we were talking to because mm-hmm. we were like going through friends and we posted online but but you could kind of tell really quickly who the actual people we, we could talk to were yeah for sure and it's like you know Five people. Right. And they just come in and you want to like get to know them because it's all about fit and you're going to be with them every day. And mm-hmm. it's like super the opposite oh, of yeah. everything you're talking about. It's like about. hundreds and hundreds of people will... That's what's so crazy about when... You, and I think um, having your hands in different pots also helps you not think about this as much. But you like mm-hmm. you think about like, okay, there's my agency and who knows how many female actors are in my agency that fit the type of role. And then there's five other major agencies yeah, and they're also maybe casting in New York as well, and it, and you just think of the uh, enormity and the breadth and like the the scope of people that they're bringing in. That any time you get an any time you book a role, it's like a miracle. That's what it feels like. You're like so it's like existentially terrifying if you think about it too hard. But like <laughs> if you get it and you're like, wow, that's like a needle in a haystack thing. That's pretty cool, you know. Oh, that's very glass um, half full. Yeah, yeah. But then when you think about it when you're auditioning, it's well. How do you know how many people your agency represents? I don't. You have, like, no idea. I could probably find out, but I'm assuming there's a pretty... It's a pretty big agency. Like, I'm pretty, with one of the bigger agencies, so... Okay. I think it's it's a significant number. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating um, when you start to think of it that way. And by fascinating, I mean sort of scary. But um, <laughs> But then it makes you feel great when you do book something, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, like... I, I keep coming back to this in a lot of conversations I have, which is that as anyone doing creative work, like you kind of deal with an arc through feeling that you are both less unique than you thought and also like uh, that that's okay and that you are unique in like some ways. Like mm-hmm. you're less unique on a broad, on a big level. Like your type, you have a type. Yes. And there are lots of people who are your type. Type, yes. And that's like, that's okay. There are going to be yes. so many people who fit that like first round that you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. And then it's really just, it's it's kind of like almost too, I guess it's kind of like dating in a way too, where Go you on. can't take preference personally. 
Does that make sense? Huh. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if someone likes Pepsi, they like Pepsi. If someone likes Coke, they like Coke. So if I'm just as good as person B, so you're not dating soda. I'm, dating, I'm talking about dating soda. Okay, that's what which I was actually you something meant. I really wanted to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> I like want to make my debut that I am a, that I am a soda bachelor. Um, really going for the niche audience. Of yeah. soda daters. This is your that's your that's your mark that's like your demographic for this podcast, right? Well, we'll discover that. Soda in daters. Time. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a huge surge. It's all about finding your audience. <laughs> Um, no, but yeah, you know, I think when people, I, I remember talking to a friend who was trying to comfort his other friend, um, who had a crush on this girl and he was like beating himself up and he was like, dude, what do you like better? Pepsi or Coke? And he was like, I don't Coke. He's like, okay, that girl likes Pepsi. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Um, and it's, I think it's similar with acting, which is again, if Samantha, Mm -hmm. um, is equal in in terms of talent with me, but she has the voice they're looking for, then yeah. she has the voice they're looking for, you know? Well, and so that's what um, you're getting at before is saying that, like, you've learned to know when that's all it is and yes. when there is a, a situation where you could have done something differently or yes. there's something you need to work on. Yeah. And the other part of it, too, is that mm-hmm. you get a lot less... Because I remember when I first started, I was like, I would, I would just obsess over the auditions and I would slave over them and I would, you know, I would try to find the right thing. Mm. And then you realize with enough time, like, you can't guess what they want. There's no way to do it. So you have to do it the way that is interesting to you mm. and then hope that that fits somewhere because you can't read their minds. Sometimes you're not even getting, like, full character descriptions on these sides or, like, whatever. Like, sometimes you're... Sometimes you get a piece of concept art. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get an entire backstory. Sometimes you don't. So it's, um, and even when you do get those things, sometimes they don't really give you the information you need or they, um, they do, but you could still have a completely different idea than the dev or the, the creator. Right. Of the materials um, they're giving you. Of the prepare. materials they're giving you. So it's, it's pointless to try to like hmm. use the sides you're not Sherlock Holmes trying to decipher what they want and like deliver yeah. it to them specifically. You kind of have to like find the thing that you like about the role or like the thing that you want to bring to it and just do it because otherwise you'll go crazy. Um, and it's also a thing where I think this is easier with voice acting auditions as well as compared to on camera, but you do an audition and you just send it into the void and you assume you'll never hear about it ever again. Right. Every audition I do, I'm like, I didn't get that. I will never hear about it again. <laughs> I literally, I'm just like, meh, because you do so many, and mm-hmm. it, it's just not worth... There are definitely some that I'm like, man, that was a really cool script, I hope. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's better than on-camera, though, because you don't have to, like, get gussied up and, like, drive to Hollywood and, like, sit in the lobby and, like... Yeah, you've just invested in f- fewer ways, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. just sort of, like, I can, like, be in my... I can be literally in this room and do, like, six auditions in a row, you know, and, and then, just like, throw them out. Just, or, like, forget about them. Yeah, yeah, just forget about them. That's cool. I mean, like, the way you're talking about that sounds familiar to me in other ways and just general, like, learning to trust. It's, like, it's a little different, but it's similar to the idea of just, like, making creative decisions where you're, like, mm-hmm. sort of like how you're saying, well, you don't know what they're looking for. It's, like, you don't know what's going to resonate with people or you don't know, sure. like, what actually the, what the, the right story decision is. Like, right. there, are, there are decisions you can make that have to do with craft and that have to do with pacing mm-hmm. and, and structure, and those are very concrete things you need to come to learn. But then there's stuff where it's, like, I just need to make a decision. I just need to go with something that I want to do here. And maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, and of course it's, uh, I mean, it's very, I, and I think it's a salient point you just made is that I think that's a that's a major consideration in most creative fields because if you're only trying to serve what you think an audience might like, I don't think mm-hmm. you're really making anything that's true to you. Hmm. That's why there's so many, like, like, there's lots of content, and I think there's just so much content. And I think the things that are resonant are the things that you can tell that the creator made with genuine love and passion for. Yeah. And I think you can kind of, I think audiences can kind of smell when they're being pandered to, you know? Sure. Um, I hope so. I think so. I mean, yeah. I think maybe sometimes not, but... Um, you want to trust that, I think. You want to trust that, because otherwise you're not making... Because then what are you making anything for, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, um, if, you can, if you can sell every piece of content with, like, the right marketing plan, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. Ideally, you're making something because you have a voice you want to share. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that seems like that's just that's just got to be the way it is, right? Otherwise, why <laughs> the f- why the fuck would you do this? Right. I mean, sometimes. Any- I mean, the honest truth is that some people get into it for acclaim or money, which you know yeah. is not what I'm. Not my jam, but you know. Is there okay? Um, I'm gonna like out myself a little bit here. Is there in your mind when you say that like some like is there a a body of 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 people who are making stuff or a community where it's like very disparate and it's those are the people who are in it for the for different reasons? I don't think so. I think I mean there can also be a mixture. Like you can enjoy the creative stuff and then also really hope that like I don't think anyone makes creative stuff and is like, I hope no one sees this. Yo, you know I what wanna, I mean? I want to make money. Right. Or I want to make money. I want to make, I want people to enjoy it. You know, I want people to know about it. Like, yeah. of course. Um, I think I, I've met some people that primarily just want to be known, um, hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's not really, it doesn't resonate with me, I guess just because I'm just not the type of person that thrives on being known on being known Mm. um but i i find it pop up every so often in different different realms of life you know although i think people that are like that tend to gravitate towards jobs that really um can facilitate or like utilize that whatever like the skill set or the the drive underneath those desires i think really slots into certain professions. They just end up in a different area. Potentially, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I was going to say, I, I was going to out myself, is that, like, although this is not necessarily true, like, one likes to think that, for example, like, indie games, whatever that means, mm-hmm. are people who it's like, man, this is going to be hard, and you're not going to make any money. Right. And you probably will continue not to make any money, mm-hmm. and your games won't get finished, so you got to really be doing it because you just want to make these things. And, right. like, if you want to do it to to be financially successful, there are way better ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, to oversimplify, like, there are companies there in the game industry who, that are run in a way that is, like, suggests that, like, they do more... That there's more... The focus is elsewhere, right? For sure. For and sure. they manage to have some success because some of that stuff works. Like, data sure. analysis works. And, like, psycho- psycho- psychologically works. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> You know, and, and, yeah, yeah, but for sure. those are those end up kind of what you're saying, or what I'm I'm trying to see if if you agree with, like mm-hmm. gravitating towards whole different zones. Yeah, I think I think at least I hope I suppose that um, <laughs> I don't know if I hope I, I guess like, is, like like at the end of the day, if someone wants to just make a living off of making games, mm-hmm. and they're like down to just like churn some shit out that's just going to make them money, like mm-hmm. you know. I can't really knock that because that's just, it's just a different, a completely different path than I am sure, sure. on. Um, but I, I just, I feel a difference in art that is not made yeah. from love, I guess, yeah. or passion. I feel, a, I feel a disconnection uh, from mm-hmm. that. Well, I, I, this is, I don't know if this is equally true. You feel this in, in other media. I actually love to hear your thoughts on this from another perspective, like animation, mm-hmm. but in games, like the people who play our games are coming at them from different places. Mm-hmm. And you could say that some people just don't care. Like, there are people who play games like, I don't care about the story. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I'm someone who likes to make authored stories, like, mm-hmm. where you actually have a story that you write and that you tell. Right. And I'm in that camp. And so when I hear that, my thinking or my hope is like, yeah, but, the, like, even if they're not there for a story, like, there's there's my opportunity to still teach them something. For sure when I've got them because they want to jump high. Right. And that's like, well, that's like <laughs> you know, like there are people who are going to, who, who are going to play hyperlight because they want to hit things with a sword. Right. And it's like, well, I hope that we do more than that. Right. Even if your audience isn't going for that. For so sure. like, I, I would imagine it's, this, it's like, there's a huge range in animation, right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you've got stuff like adventure time, which is mm-hmm. not a moralistic show, but it's doing incredibly interesting I would, I would argue groundbreaking stuff uh, in that medium um, in terms of how they view storytelling, how they view conveying things thematically. Um, it's, it's a really remarkable show um, in so many ways. And then you have all the way to like, you know, educational kids shows mm. um, or shows that are more like 
action-packed and like um serialized serialized or you know sure. um and i guess it, at the end of the day like i remember a lot of the stuff i watched as a kid and a lot of it was shit like a lot of it was bad <laughs> right i couldn't tell the difference um but i remember the things that weren't just shit i remember mm. i distinctly remember the things that were trying something different that were trying to say something like those are the things that resonate yeah as an adult I remember all the stuff that I watched, and I watched a lot of nonsense. But um, the the uh, there are diminishing returns on that kind of stuff versus mm. the things that I remember yeah. really connecting with because I think they were created with the intention of fostering that. You know, yeah. um, like fucking. I loved Rockadoodle Doo when I was a kid. That movie is ass. <laughs> Um, but on the on the record, on the record, I will say it. Rockadoodle do not a good movie. Um, the Iron Giant, ooh, you know, yeah. Uh, which of course it's not like that's not like a controversial thing to say because the Iron Giant is objectively amazing to everyone. But um, I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember hmm. the feelings that I had. I remember how it impacted me. I remember all these things. Um, so I get it, it's like longevity, I suppose. Yeah. Is all is basically what you're going for at a certain. You, you mm. want it to resonate and to keep having echoes and ripples. How does that does that translate back down to you in any way in terms of like what you are doing and why and like what you want to make? Because you're mm-hmm. you're in a position where like you're making things now. Like you've yeah. written and directed stuff. Like mm-hmm. you have control hypothetically over projects you want to make happen. Mm-hmm. And so I I know that you're thinking about like right. what do I want to make and why and like is there a yeah, like, do you have anything that is your destination? Uh, you know. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's funny because I feel like it's a funny thing to to say, um, or maybe unexpected. I don't know. Um, but I really want to make female centric media. Um, mm. I also really want to make media that incorporates people of different ethnicities and different sexual orientations. And the way right now that I really want to do that eventually is to make a sitcom. Ooh, um, like a live action classic yeah. sitcom? Like like Parks and Rec or like... Mm. Um, because the word sitcom usually brings up very specific imagery. I mean, depending on what area you're thinking of, you might think of the Cosby show or you might think of whatever. Mm-hmm. But... um to me, there's like two camps of of uh, messaging, which is um, in terms of of progressive messaging, I, sh- I should say, okay. um, of trying to convey, um, um, of trying to of trying to voice how you want to see the world, how you want how your value system, and I think it's either you're cri- criticizing the status quo. Or you're creating content that showcases what you want to see. Um, mm, mm. So it's the difference between like something like Es Machina, yeah. which is criticizing the status quo, and um, I don't know, fucking uh, not really Mad Max because Mad Max is doing both. But like mm. Parks and Recreation is, for example, is one of my favorite shows of all time. And it, the main character is a smart, capable. Uh, stubborn, overbearing, very mm-hmm. complex female character. She's surrounded by other complex female characters, male characters that respect her and support yeah. her and want her to succeed. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I believe very strongly that media that is accessible and that is fun um, can be a really, really powerful tool in terms of uh, socializing people. Like yeah, yeah. the Cosby show, for example, was so pivotal uh culturally because it basically let white people realize that black people yeah. were like them um they have families right they have families they have they joke they they yeah. have the same sort of problems G- goofy neighbor yeah. kid hey stop being racist white family look how fun the cosby's are yeah. you know what i mean yeah um which is unfortunate now because jesus but um yeah but you can't take that away <laughs> the historical impact no. um but yeah so basically like 
because for a while I, when I was younger, I kind of struggled with, um, identity stuff in terms of like what media I liked or wanted to create. And, um, I mean, I feel like, like demographically for you or you as a creator, me as a creator, I guess, or like, because I felt, I felt I had a lot of, I don't know. I had like a, a lot of weird, like self-judging and like shame issues, especially when mm. I was younger. And I would feel bad if I liked really mainstream stuff or I'd feel bad if I liked like stuff that was quote unquote stupid or like whatever. Oh, that sounds um, like me now. So tell me how to get it. <laughs> um, so in high school, even if like I didn't understand an artsy movie or whatever, Mm-mm. I would be like, oh yeah, I love that movie. It's so great. And then as I got older, um, I realized that I loved... I loved the possibilities of fun, accessible media. Because, um, like, a movie like Mad Max yeah. is incredibly fun. It's got insane action, you know, and it's also uses that platform and uses that, like, blockbuster formula to do some really awesome stuff in terms of gender. Yeah. Um, so. That's where I want to head. That's what I wanted. So, yeah, you you kind of, like, set up these two things of, like, you're either breaking down the status quo or you're serving as an example of what a new status quo could be, right? Yeah. So is that that to say that there's one... You want to do the latter or that you think those are just two parts of a whole of trying to... I think I'm more interested in doing the latter. I think I'm more interested in showcasing what the change could be. Yeah. But I also understand and value why the the former is is important i think sometimes um i think sometimes even even people that would consider themselves feminist or whatever they might i remember i was talking to a friend about this that um ex machina in particular had an interesting response because people there's there was a subsection of viewers that didn't like that it was deconstructing hmm. um patriarchy just because it was distracting to them, or like they, pref- they, their argument was it should be, we should be producing content that shows showcases what we want to see. Mm. Um, but I think both are necessary. Yeah, yeah, I'd, um, I'd say that's true. Yeah, like it makes to make people receptive for a new thing. You have to make them aware, or it helps to make them aware mm-hmm. of what might be wrong with the current thing. Right, but my preference is is definitely creating for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of what fan friction was, uh, which is the yeah. short that I directed for the Hulu. Uh, we keep calling it the Hulu show, which is <laughs> not descriptive. <laughs> Rocket Jump, the show on Hulu, um, is a short that I helped write and then ended up directing for the show. But um, we knew we wanted it to be a female story, um, and it was exciting and important to uh, us. And I, I would say just to me, uh, not just to me, but I, sh- I can only speak for myself. It was exciting and important to me. Um, to have not only two female characters, but also exploring and being excited by, um, like the quote unquote nerd space or like things that are predominantly only seen as like, um, spaces for men. Yeah. And well, I think that spoke through from what I saw in it is that like, it's not in what I saw, like, it's not apologizing for assuming anything or like, it's not, it's not stopping to address like, Hey, wait, but isn't this like different than how it would be like, yeah, yeah. Than how other media would display it. It's just like, yeah, who the fuck cares? This is just how they are. Yeah. And ultimately it's about the story of their friendship more than it's anything else. And, um, any statements are in, are additive or are, you know, almost incidental to the larger thing, Mm -hmm. which is just, here is a story of two girls and their friendship. Um, which is ideally how you how you would want it to be, I think, because people also can smell preachy stuff. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Oh man, I enjoyed that a lot. Okay, wait. So I wanna so I wanna pull back because that's super interesting to me, and I want to see your sitcom. And like <laughs> uh, another thing that I want to figure out about you uh, or about your life is like you can ask me anything you want, Teddy. Here it comes. Oh God. Hardball questions Woo! coming nonstop. You can't see me, but I'm doing like, you know, when the batters are the circular bat, they're doing the circular swing. bat motion when I'm they're getting ready like, for the ball, the, the spitting into a, do they have buckets on the mound. I'm doing the <laughs> fixing my cap. Yeah. And one of my legs is like really up high. Looking intimidating. 
people can't see it, but my leg is like basically over my head. Oh my god! Oh, it looks broken. Yeah, and I'm it's sitting crazy. down too, which is weird. Yeah. Um, here it comes. <laughs> Swear to God, I have something to say. <laughs> no. Um, we're talking like so. We're talking a lot about the work you've done that that has nothing to do with games, and I think like what I'm curious about a lot when it comes to people who work in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and particularly someone like you who works in a lot of media, because mm-hmm. I work predominantly just in games. Like, right. I'm basically just sitting in games all day. Right. Um, just buried in it. Just buried in video games. <laughs> neck deep. Uh, yeah, at least. Like, cheek. Cheek. Is, yeah, like, how much do you feel... I have an image of, like, I'm in video games, and we're kind of like the smaller media here. Mm-hmm. Like, I go to parties that are more Hollywood, and I'm kind of like a guest. Right. Like, I'm not in that scene and i don't really care Mm -hmm. if a famous director is there like it's interesting to me but it doesn't matter it's ancillary right um and i feel that separation right but but you're involved in more different stuff and so i wonder if like do do they feel disparate to you do they feel like there are bridges and our bridges are there opportunity in bridges or are they just kind of these two different things that you work in well it's interesting because at rocket jump um most of the creative people there are also gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a large subsection of the company that are um, that are gamers. So even though I'm not making games at Rocket Jump, we are very much steeped in games as well as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Twitch stream, and like you know, we 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 bond through games a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's it's. It's funny too because voiceover is not really all, it's not really part of the larger it doesn't it feels like a smaller subsection as well um, as compared mm. to I think when people think of Los Angeles they think of movies sure um, or TV Maybe like TV, like yeah. live live action TV mm-hmm. um, so yeah I feel I kind of feel on the sidelines uh, in in most also. respects on that also because mm. Rocket Jump is sort of we we are we're difficult to categorize. And we're like putting, we're dipping our toe into, like the larger playing field. Yeah. But um, right, like you're on Hulu. Right. And but, like I'm pretty sure like Breaking Bad's on Hulu. So you're basically <laughs> we're basically Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. <laughs> the show, our company is the show Breaking Bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I definitely find it interesting now when I go to things like even though I didn't go this year, but when I go to conventions or I go to like. GDC or, you know, whatever. Because yeah. um, for a while it was very steeped in games. Um, it's kind of like... I, yeah, I felt yeah. very steeped in like the community and like that's all I really thought of. Yeah. Um, and most of the work that I was doing was in games, all the voiceover work. Like yeah. I didn't start booking animation until like... Um, I mean... I was, predom- I, I was booking animation from the mm-hmm. beginning of my career probably, but mostly I was working in games. Um... But it's just interesting now. I guess what's just interesting is how much you feel like your little bubble is the only thing existing in the world because you're so focused mm. on it. And then you step outside and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> We're just a little cog. Yeah. Um, but um, I found that there's cross-pollination in terms of just lots of different people like playing games now. Yeah. Um, but, well, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's all like a microcosm of what I remember from film school, which was like I went to film school, and then I switched because uh, I was at USC, mm-hmm. and they had a program for interactive media, which in my case was effectively like training for making games, right? Um, but with like a narrative focus that fit into a film school. Mm-hmm. And there is just always this like whenever that the 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 school as a larger entity wants everybody to work together they're like oh we got mm-hmm. all these cool creative minds together from we have an animation program and a games program mm-hmm. and, and like they should work together and right. if they collaborate boom they're going to make some they're going to birth a new medium <laughs> that is even better right better content yet but like but but any, <laughs> as they would say as they would say but anytime that happens you just kind of like you come to the table or whatever like you talk to each other and you're like, well, I don't know what we have to do with each other at all. Like, we're right. so different. That like, it's cool. You have some things that you know that I don't about cinematography or whatever, and I know stuff about player experience and interaction that you don't. But the the hill is too steep, and we're all in our own little bubbles. And like, what's even the point? And then the, we kind of just bounce off each other. That's actually a really good point. Um, 
It's interesting because I think we often criticize games for trying to be too cinematic, but uh-huh. um, to uh, to toot your horn a little bit, um, <laughs> watching the Hyperlight Drifter trailer, it has you guys have an, a really amazing sense of uh, of framing, I guess you know in quotes like that would mm-hmm. be like a filmic turn, but um, the composition of scenery or like environments or like the the, the shots that you chose to include in the trailer Hmm. um are staged really beautifully and it's something i think about a lot with animation and stuff as well because even though it's all drawn you still have to think about how you're framing your shots like how you are placing your players in the scene how you are doing all those things and um i think that's something that people really love about life is strange is that it for lack of a better word has beautiful cinematography Hmm. Um, and obviously you can't do that in every game, but, um, yeah, huh? <laughs> but no. you know, there's, there's, there's more opportunity to craft composition in some games yeah. than in others. But, um, I think, I think the problem is that games often are trying to be multiple other medium at the same time, rather than just being themselves. And if like yeah. your focus is making, is being a game first yeah. and then you can, you can then, I think, once you're like, okay, I'm a game. Uh-huh. I'm going to pull from other the strengths of other mediums to enhance my gameness, to yeah. enhance my my quality of being a game. Yeah, I feel like I mean, I feel like you've already gotten to to an answer or to something that that resonates with me, which is that like when you talk about the shots in the Hyperlight Drifter trailer or whatever, mm-hmm. I think, oh well, that's because uh, like Alex recorded that footage and Alex was an illustrator mm-hmm. and like. Um, our team is composed of people who are like our lead level designer for, for much of the project, Casey Hunt, like had never done level design. He wasn't even a game designer. He was like uh, a director mm-hmm. and a, a writer and an illustrator. Mm-hmm. But, he, but, but he had like a sense for visual shapes mm-hmm. and the shapes of his spaces were mm-hmm. so good that it was just like, oh, well, Casey's levels feel the best. So Casey will learn how to become a game designer. And and I guess what I'm getting at is like, and same thing with my my uh talking about games and and film school and and even now you working on like directing in film and if you want to make a sitcom Mm -hmm. like you're not going to make a sitcom that's like well i want it to be interactive like a video game (laughs) but like you have knowledge because you've been in other places right so the the point being like the thing that you're making is just the thing that you're making like you don't need to jam media together up there right where it gets mixed and where the melting the cool melting happens is in the people Mm mm-hmm and their experiences. For sure. And, like, and hopefully it's yeah. just very osmosis, soft. Like, it's not a conscious decision to, like, we're going to apply film techniques to this video game. It's just we have people who have made film. Right. Um, it happens more naturally. Maybe. Yeah, and I think, you know, finding the crossover is difficult. I think, yeah. you know, game companies have had difficulty sometimes with, like, pulling in outside writers. Mm. Writing for games is so much different than writing for any, <laughs> literally anything else. I mean... We're, we're making shorts at Rocket Jump right now, and writing a short is so much different than writing a, a, a 22-minute pilot is so much different than writing a 40-minute pilot is so much different than writing a script for a movie yeah. is so much different than writing a game is so much different than, you know. Um, and I think finding people with a cross-pollination of, like, I love games and I understand them and I can also write, or I love games and I understand them and I can also, like, I understand film as well. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's probably hard to find, which is why it you don't get... As much of that interbreeding as I think could be really useful for both mediums, mm-hmm. but um, or for all mediums, but um, yeah, I think it's I think it shows when you see it. Like, I, I've had many people say like how beautiful they think Life is Strange is in terms of like like there are the moments where Max sits on the bench and like reflects like benches or different yeah, places yeah, yeah. in different settings, and. Um, and that's just all cinematography. It's like, yeah. yeah, which they went in. The, I think they went in with the att- intention of we're gonna we want this to feel like a film in a way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think I think maybe the larger point is just there is so much value even if you're only doing games in understanding film in understanding. Yeah. But also, you need to understand where gaming where film ends and gaming begins because mm-hmm. you know, like people um you know having cutscenes in your game is is just a, a cardinal sin a lot of the time now um sure. for a lot of people yeah, it depends um, on the situation, but yeah which 
which, you know, you can make arguments either way, but, um, it's kind of finding it's, it's again, it's, it's like knowing exactly the type of experience you want to craft and then utilizing techniques that you know from other games or other mm. mediums entirely to help enhance that as much as possible. Did you feel like from your, I mean, you weren't like, I don't know how long you were actually involved with Life is Strange and to what degree you were involved with the various members of the team, but like, mm-hmm. did you glean any of like, oh, these people have a background in, in something besides games or that's where, that's what made this feel as as successful as it was in being cinematic? I definitely feel like, well, I definitely know that Christian, the writer, wasn't mm-hmm. only a games writer. Okay. Um, he's definitely written in, in lots of different mediums. And... I think they must have either made a concerted effort to make the game feel more filmic, or they just have people that have a, like a grasp of that language already there. Mm. I think it might be a combination of both, but um, like literally, and I don't really know how else to say it, but the cinematography mm. of that game, the lighting, the composition, all of those things is really, really lovely. Mm. Um, and I think I think people responded to that a lot, actually, too, in that game. Um, mm. It feels intimate, and I think the staging of those moments is very. It was it was pivotal to that creating that feeling of intimacy. Oh yeah, it's compelling. Um, like I I know from from a design point of view, like when Max would just sit down, I'm like, as a designer, like my first thought, like my designer brain is like, there's nothing for the player to do. There's nothing for the player to do. They're gonna get bored. They're gonna bored. How can we distract them? Right. And then playing that, I'm like, I am totally fine yeah. i don't feel like i need to get up and poke at things right they're doing a really good job of engaging me in a way that maybe isn't interactive right now but is working and i think that's honestly because they utilize the strengths of film basically in yeah. those moments but they do it in such a way that it still feels like a game yeah. you know and I, I yeah i guess maybe this is all obvious but it's interesting to me to think about it this way because at least in my experience, or and maybe it's just the circles of people that I run in, and like the types of things that we talk about. But there's usually a lot of conversation about like just be a game, don't stop trying to be a movie, just be a game mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that does do a disservice to what an understanding of the language of film can do for your game. If it, I think it's a pushback from. Uh, years past when games were a little bit less mature and people were just looking to film for answers. And and yes. so then there was this projection of like, this is producing shit work, like this is all cutscenes, like no, we are our own medium, we need to own that. Yeah. And there was a push away from it. And I mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like it's there's just something in the middle. Like there is mm-hmm. something to be learned. But yes, you don't just look to one other media as a as a path to follow. Right. And you're not just like literally going to cut out what that medium does and then paste it in your medium. Jam it in. Yeah, just like shoving that fucking square peg in the round hole, you know? <laughs> um and I say this as someone that loves Metal Gear, you know? <laughs> I know that it's ridiculous. But, um, uh, yeah, I think... And it's interesting. It's an interesting point that, like, even though... We're, I mean, there is a little bit more. I know it glitched, like, we would get... At, at the early game nights, you know, there would uh-huh. be animator... People in animation that would come in and hang out. There would yep. be, you know, different people from different strokes, different folks. Um mm-hmm. And at Rocket Jump, we have game nights sometimes, and um, mm. we'll get, like, you know, people playing board games um, that are filmmakers, that are yeah. um, animators, that are musicians, that are whatever. Um, but I feel like no one's quite gotten it right yet. No one's quite figured out, like, on a large, large scale. Mm. Like, there hasn't been a great film adaptation of a game. Like, the best one that we have is Scott Pilgrim, and that's not really, like... <laughs> it's not an adaptation yeah, of a game, yeah. but it uses the... The language of games. The language and the iconography to sure, do sure, something sure. interesting. Um, but no one's... I don't know if there's been a good distillation and utilization of of different tropes and different mediums yet. As, like... as well, Or, like, there isn't, like, a prevalence of those things yet. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It starts to get, like... We start to get back up into the clouds where it's like, eh, I, I, this. what are such problems for us to solve? Like, let's just solve it one project at a time or whatever. Right. So, so before you make a sitcom, mm-hmm. what's, what are you doing now? Like, what's your next, wh- like, what are you reaching for kind of soon? You know, like. Just trying to, 
just trying to learn how to do this stuff on these shorts <laughs> for Rocket Jump. Um, and to keep trying to level up in, in voiceover. I mean, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm kind of in like a gauntlet of learning right now. Because mm. uh, for these Rocket Jump shorts, like, here we go. I'm learning how to use Premiere to edit. I'm learning how to edit. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. learning how to use After Effects to do a muzzle flash. I'm learning how to what the fuck color correction is like you know um and basically surviving all of that learning is what i'm trying to do um that's good that's not yeah. it's good to not overreach and be like and also i'm utilizing it to its utmost potential at the no, same I'm, time i can literally only look like five inches in front of my face right now i'm just trying to yeah this is a trick yeah. question because i know nobody can do that nobody can do anything other than like damn it teddy you and your, your tricksy gotcha your tricksie cues a, an hour-long ruse <laughs> More like a fucking lifetime ruse. Who's the fool Masquerading that? friendship. Who's the bad friend now? <laughs> um, well, thanks for talking to me. This is this is really fun. I feel like, I don't know. I got a lot of it. Me too. Cool. Yeah, it was great. Thanks. Thanks for hanging out with me. Boom, we're done. Boom, bang, boom. Wait, don't stop it, because I'm going to clap at the end in case the sink is fucked. Okay. I'm just going to clap. I clap. I'm the clapper. Okay. Three, this is just me. Two, only me <laughs> clapping. <laughs> Okay, I'm closing it. Okay. <laughs> and that's Ashley. Oh, man, super cool. Uh, I have a super good time whenever I talked about her. Uh, I think we got into some good stuff. I think we got a little heady, uh, a little personal. I don't know. Um, I'm doing my best to kind of make myself feel comfortable, make other people feel comfortable, and just have a have a regular conversation, which is sometimes hard to do when you got a microphone in your face. Uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, I'm doing this podcast, different conversation, different guest, uh, bi-weekly, meaning twice a week, I think. Uh, or at least that's how I mean it. Um, you're going to get different guests from different angles. Uh, you're going to get my progressing journey through the release and aftermath of Hyperlight Drifter, whether it succeed or fail or somewhere in between. Uh... Yeah, man. So I'm going to go and get back into it. It's the last week of development. I'm about to go into the weekend, do a little bit of video game making, maybe go. I like to like dance, dance out my stress, even if I'm uh, crunching and working really hard. I, I just kind of need to get away from the screen because if I'm in my apartment uh, where I am right now, or if I'm at Glitch City where our office is, I'm just working. I'm just like always working. So I get myself out have a drink i go dancing maybe i'll do that this weekend maybe i'll just sleep maybe i will do neither and just work on the game but we'll find out uh and that's pretty much it uh guys thanks for hanging out um i want to give a uh, big thanks to chris remo and jake rodkin from idle thumbs for welcoming me into this podcast network uh if you want to reach me or, or the show which is just me uh you can email at playscape at idlethumbs.net uh, or you can tweet at me I'm at Teddy Deef on Twitter D-I-E-F uh, also a huge thanks to Lily Nishida who worked on the imagery logo for the podcast with Jake uh, and Omniboy whose music you've been hearing that's O-M-N-I-B-O-I he's a Los Angeles artist I thought it'd be super rad if he did stuff uh, or if we used his stuff for the show that's it we did it uh, super thanks for hanging out Hope you do it again. I will see you next week. Bye.